Country music. I love country music. Country music. Country music. The future of country music's looking good. I love it. Country confidential. Three chords and the truth, I guess. I don't know. I think there's something really special about country music telling the stories that they do. And uh, I think there's something really special about the production behind it and the sounds that you hear in country music. Because those are sounds that you don't really hear on rock records and stuff like that. There's no steel guitar on rock records, unless I'm, unless I just hadn't heard it. <laughs> country music is all about three chords and the truth. And no one fits that more than country star Cameron Marlowe. For Cameron, three chords and the truth isn't just a country music cliche. It's the only way he knows how to make music. The North Carolina native prides himself on strong narratives and relatable storylines. Plus, Cameron has one of the best voices in the business. He grew up on 70s and 80s country, along with other icons like Stevie Ray Vaughan, Ray Charles, and Kings of Leon. Now with all of that, Cameron effortlessly blends this into his own style of country music. His debut album, We Were Cowboys, is the perfect example of Cameron's range and creativity. Now with over 360 million career streams and a sold out headlining tour under his belt, this star is just getting started. Country Confidential. So let's dive in. I'm so excited. So growing up in North Carolina, I mean, you have so many different kinds of terrain. You have the coast, you have the hills. So when you think of your hometown and close your eyes, like what are some of your big memories that you remember from growing up? Um, it's a big mill town. So uh, we had what used to be a big cotton mill that supplied basically the whole country with like textiles and stuff like that. I'm actually wearing their hat right now, which is kind of funny. That's awesome. Uh, but uh, they shut down after that and it left our town really poor. Um, and kind of shut down basically all of Kannapolis. There was nothing in our downtown area or anything like that. And then all of a sudden, a big, uh, some big money guy came in and started building cancer research centers in my hometown, which is really odd for us. Cause I don't <laughs> think Kannapolis knows anything about like, I don't know, doctor stuff. <laughs> but yeah, I love uh, that. Yeah, so uh, that that completely changed my town, and uh, it's been growing ever since. So it's it's brought a lot of jobs to Kannapolis. It's been great, it really has. I went home and didn't. I don't even recognize it anymore, which is it's really wild. I love it. So I always tell people, you know, when people are like, "Oh, what music did you grow up on?" People are surprised that I did not grow up on country music, even though now I'm obsessed in it and love people like you guys. Yeah. So when you remember the sounds from when you were little, who are some of those big names? Uh, George Jones and George Strait. My top two right there, uh, that's what my grandpa raised me on, was the two Georges. Uh, and then I would say there's other people like Brooks and Dunn that really have shaped uh, the way I sing. And Travis Tritt, who also has a big part of the way I sing. Um, as far as other kinds of music, like I really love blues music as well. Uh, so I listen to a lot of like Stevie Ray Vaughan and a lot of B.B. Uh, King and Ray Charles and things like that. So I'm kind of all over the place with a lot of older music. I, I didn't really ever listen to newer music too much. I love it. So my parents, it's so funny you bring up the blues because my parents love the blues and we grew up going to Memphis a lot. And I remember in high school, I'm like, this is the dumbest spring break. Everybody else is in like Cancun. But uh, were you like a Stevie Ray Vaughan fan? Because apparently I came into this world to Stevie Ray Vaughan. <laughs> really? Yeah. yeah so Stevie Ray Vaughan fan. Uh, I don't think there's another guitar player player that can mimic him 
other than John Mayer, John Mayer gets really close, but I think Stevie Ray Vaughan is in his own lane uh, and will always be his sound. I don't think anybody can mimic it. I love it. So digging in a little bit, I noticed you went to college, but came home to take care of family, which I love. And I think that just plays such a great part of your story, but you were working as a car salesman or a car parts salesman for for a hot (laughs) second. So walk me through that decision and still wanting to be involved in music. Did you feel super stuck? Did you feel like, you know, this is where I'm going to be. I'm going to stay in North Carolina all my life. Or were those dreams of something bigger still there? Uh, I definitely thought I was going to stay in Carolina my whole life. Um, My mom had a bad back injury that left her unable to work. And uh, she, they won't admit it, but they were, they were needing some help. So that's why I kind of decided I was like, school isn't really my thing. I wasn't doing well in my classes anyway. I was like, it's time for me to, it's time for me to roll on. And uh, so I went to work to try and be as supportive as I could. Um, Started with at a place called Randy Marion, which is basically a, uh, I worked for General Motors, basically selling car parts for their dealership and things like that. And uh, even though I was in there, my mind was on music the whole time. Um, not in like a professional way, but that's what I love to do. You know, like that's what I, I cared about the most. So I would go play any bar gig that would let me. I would try and ask off from work anytime that they, I had a show, trying to get off early. Um, but I, I I loved it. I mean, I really did. Any Anytime, even if nobody was listening to me, still just playing music was what made my day better. Oh my gosh. I love that. And listening to music is what makes my day better. So I love that you say that. I feel like music really just helps us get through really whatever. So when did you decide to like take country music seriously? Was there like a pivotal moment or kind of a a life moment that you were like, you know what, I, I have to do this for a living. So I guess my first taste of doing music professionally, uh, I did the voice and when I was out of the voice, um, I met so many songwriters and they would like go write while they were in uh, L.A. And I was like, that's freaking cool. Like I write songs, but I didn't think my songs were worth anything. And I was like, I definitely don't know how to write with somebody else and be vulnerable. Um, so if I didn't go on the voice, whether the show did anything for me or not, I think just the aspect of getting to meet writers and getting to see that side of the industry is what sparked my interest. And then after that, I started coming to Nashville as much as I could. So I would drive up two to three times a week, try and play gigs in Nashville, um, basically asking off all my vacation to just to be able to come to Nashville as much as I could. (laughs) (laughs) Me too. So what were some of those early places that you played? You know what I mean? Now that you're in the business, just walking into places, I don't know, like a whiskey jam or maybe some of those early writer rounds, do those hold just bigger memories now that you're on tour with people like, I don't know, Thomas Rhett? <laughs> no, absolutely. Um, some of the earliest places was like, I played a lot at, um, shoot, I just forgot the name of it. Oh, Red, sorry. No oh, Red, okay. Whiskey Row. Um, I did Honky Tonk Saloon. Um, I think that was the name of it. I don't know. There's so many honky talks down in Broadway, uh, but <laughs> that would take me on Broadway. I was trying to play. Oh my gosh. I love it. So I remember I found your music, obviously probably a lot of the same way people did with giving you up. Yeah. The song is really painful. Can you, can you kind of walk me through your mindset of that song? I mean, it's, it's a painful one, but kind of a liberating one to listen to as well. <laughs> Um, so when I was writing that song, it was a pretty dark day because I, my whole life had kind of flipped where I thought I was going to marry this one girl. 
And when things didn't work out, I was like, well, shoot, I don't know what to do now. And then she tried to come back into my life and that's the whole other story. So I basically just kind of had to get a song out and I do that every once in a while where I just kind of have to get something off my chest and write as real as I possibly can. And that's where that song came from. That second verse of that song is really just, it wasn't supposed to be lyrics. None of the song was supposed to be lyrics. It was just me writing things out that I just needed to say. And it just kind of became a song out of out of thin air. The first thing I wrote on the page was giving you up, I'm pretty sure. So it just kind of fell out of me, I guess. I love it. I've always wanted to ask you, were you smoking at that time that you were with that girl? Because you're giving up some cigs. Yeah, <laughs> I used to smoke. I don't do that anymore. Um, yeah, no, I, I still have a nicotine habit, but it's it's just really thin. <laughs> it's okay. I have a Diet Coke and Maker's Mark habit. So there hey. you go. Everybody's got their vice. So <laughs> I feel like every all of your songs are so personal to you. What's your songwriting process like? Do you feel like you've grown as a songwriter, especially you know, with your debut album? For sure. Um, my writing process changes every day. Uh, it's kind of the, one of those things where like some days I'll pick a chorus to write first or I'll write the verses first and we'll write the chorus another day kind of thing. Um, it, it's always evolving, always changing. Um, but I do, I always try and write stories that I've personally felt or that I feel like somebody around me has felt. And uh, I, I just, I've always tried to be as true as I can in my music. And that's something that I really hold close to my heart. Like I try, I try and be more than just, dirt roads and trucks uh, i i've just always wanted to say more so uh and that's nothing against anybody that writes like that it's just uh just how i felt no i love it so something i noticed when you were on stage uh when i saw you at joe's on weed was you have quite a bit of ink on you um I and Go i yeah, it goes I up guess, here should we we can kind of share here i, <laughs> I got it all over <laughs> <laughs> I love it. So I know me, you know what I mean? I for I got my first tattoo when I was going going through it. And so I have an inkling that you don't put things that don't matter to you on your body. Can you tell you me would about be like, really surprised? Really? <laughs> um, you got like a teeny bird on your thigh or something. There's, yeah. <laughs> there's a couple tattoos that have deep meaning. Uh, and the other ones are just pieces of art that I like from certain artists when I go and get tattoos. I'm a big flash art guy. I love to go into the shop and see something that's cool. And uh, I love old school, traditional style tattoos. So that's what this whole arm is. It's just old traditional style. And it's just always been my favorite kind of art. So I just, I pick what I like and yeah, oh. <laughs> nothing really has too much meaning. Some pieces do, but I love it. Most, whatever. I love it. So uh, I first saw you God, it's been probably 2021. You opened up for a, just a small gentleman named Brad Paisley. Actually, <laughs> the pass is actually back here on my wall somewhere. Talk to me about, you mean, just touring and being mentored by somebody that, you mean, just, I mean, it's Brad Paisley. <laughs> um, one of the most top-notch teams I've ever been around in my life. Uh, very, very on their A game at all times and super helpful especially for us, like it was boot camp for us. Like we, we didn't know what we were doing, but that was our first big tour. Mm -hmm. So having people like that, they're also in your corner as much as like they are their own artist camp. It's uh, it's a special thing and it helps a lot. And uh, it's made me want to do that for other artists is like really 
on, on their first time with the, with us. We always try and be as welcoming as we can. And yeah, I Brad love Bay, great. I love that. I remember that night Brad's dad was there. Did you ever get to meet Mr. Paisley? I've heard he's quite <laughs> the character. The sheriff is the is a character. He's uh, he's a fun guy. He um he's very stern and very strict on the what he wants, but <laughs> sheriff always gets it, you know. <laughs> Oh my gosh, that's funny. I feel like uh, Brad was also kind of the leader in the tour prank. I feel like Brad kind of led the torch with that. Was there any I, pranking going on that, you know I mean, legally you can tell me about? <laughs> really bad. It started with zip tying all of our cases where we couldn't get into it. So we had to figure out how to break into all of our cases. And we were like, oh, they got us, they got us. And then when they really decided to get us. They, uh, my microphone has kind of a hand clip that allows it to go up and down so I can change the size or the height of it, however, during the show. Um, and they made sure that they put the, uh, a zip tie around it where it made my mic stand go all the way down where I couldn't get my mic stand up and make it stay. They duct taped the mic to the, uh, to the stand so I had to carry the whole mic stand around with me. Um, they took my drummer's cymbals, they took his drums, uh, I mean, his snare drum, uh, and then taped his kick pedal to to the uh, drum itself so he couldn't play his drums. Uh, they put glue in my guitar player's slide so he couldn't play slide or get it off his finger after it got done. Uh, yeah, there, there's a laundry list of things they did oh to us. Was that all in one night or was it like progressively throughout the No, that was all in one night. They just went off on a big bang right before we left. <laughs> Last show of the tour. Oh my gosh! Well, and I know you just did a uh, a Canadian run with uh, Tr. Mr. Thomas yeah. Brett and Jordan Davis. Whose idea was it to come up during uh, that party like we're on vacation song, like Luau style? Was that you? That was, was that Jordan? That was our, that was our team. Uh, yeah, we, we love doing tour pranks. After Paisley, we were like, yeah, we're full in on the tour pranks. So, um, yeah, we went out there Luau style. Jordan Davis's team was all in as soon as they heard it. And then what sucks, and I told Thomas this after, I was like, man, I was really expecting a prank. Now we just kind of look like jackasses because <laughs> he never pranked us back. And I was like, oh, man, my, my bad, buddy. I love that. I had a friend that was at one of your shows, and she sent me this kind of crazy video. I guess you guys do, uh, or you guys did like an acoustic part of that show and you made everybody like knock over their mic stands throw their hats because you had quite the vocal what you, when you guys kind of were talking about oh let's do an acoustic part why that song um I get to yell on it I get to really get my vocals on it and uh it's the one part of the set that like I get to be me and uh, I get to play a song that kind of shows off who I am as a singer and as an artist so uh, it's my one shot every night to really speak to a full crowd. Because, like, when we come out there early, uh, being the first of three, sometimes, like, the crowd's not full. So I try and command the crowd at the end to make sure that, hey, I'm here, too, kind of thing. No, I love that. So you also had a viral moment last summer. You fell off a stage. How was your hip? Did you have any chiropractic needs after that? <laughs> well, I, I did fall off stage. I took one step too many. And... First show on the Morgan Wallen tour, and I was like, "Are you kidding me?" So really made it. I really made a uh, impact uh, on the ground and to the team. So uh, yeah, my back's still a little messed up. Uh, I, I wake up and my lower back's still jacked. But I went and had a chiropractor, and 
my chiropractor that I went to, I guess made it a little worse. So now, now I'm, yeah, I got to find a better chiropractor and uh, hopefully I'll feel better. So, but awesome. I'm doing, yeah, I, I can still walk. So good. I'll get I love it. So now you're on your own headlining tour, which I'm excited to say my girlfriends and I at the end of May are going to come three shows, come see you for three shows all in a row and make it a girl's weekend. So we're excited about that. But now what can't you tour without? Like what's something you just have to have while you're on tour? Oh, I have to have my vocal steamer. I learned that the hard way. Yeah. So uh, I lost my voice. We were out touring with Riley Green and I lost my voice one night and I hadn't really done anything to really strain it or lose it it just kind of had went out and I didn't understand why and uh I guess we were just in a dry area so after that I was like vocal steamer is always on the bus it comes with me everywhere can't have that happen again I love it talk to me about the we were cowboys tour I am obsessed with the fact that you're bringing out Wyatt McCubbin who uh, is like it. not only one of my favorite writers but one of my favorite people Talk to me about the decision to have Wyatt out with you. I mean, I think it's just such a great match. We are very like-minded in that. Me and uh, Wyatt is probably one of my favorite people in town. One of my favorite writers. I mean, hell, he wrote half my first record with me. And uh, he's just such a presence to have around. He's just, after the first two weeks of our tour, he had fit in with everybody. And he's just a part of the family now. So uh, when we got to ask him to come back out on the second half of this tour, we were like, it, it couldn't be anybody but, but Wyatt. So we're rooting for him. I, I cannot wait to hear the new music that he's going to bring out and stuff like that. So I'm, I'm really, I'm really pumped for him. I know I was the, the meanie at um, Joe's yelling honky damn talk. And he just kept <laughs> at me, like shaking his head. He's like, just wait, just wait. So, like I gotta end up with it. Yeah, right. Oh, but and I love him with his little grandpa glasses. I yeah. <laughs> what a good guy. I tell everybody is like, if you don't know Wyatt, he's like a 97-year-old man trapped in a 27-year-old's body. <laughs> and that accent, I'm like, how are you from Ohio? I guess that's just the I think he's closer to the Kentucky line. So it runs, right. it runs a little deep there. <laughs> I love it. So, you mean, like I said, I've been a fan for a while and your, um, your debut album just seems so homey to me. So what people or things kind of remind you at home now that you find yourself not in North Carolina anymore? Um, and Nashville reminds me, and I won't say of home, but it reminds me of the hominess of North Carolina. Um, just like this town is such a small family or a big, small family everybody knows everybody and it's it's really such a great town to like have friendships in and meet people and stuff like that because I feel like it's friendships and people that you'll be with forever and uh, I think that's the aspect that I love about Nashville no yeah, I don't I... know if that's the question correctly but no that's okay <laughs> but like you're on the road or maybe you're writing like if you close your eyes is there like any people in town or any bars in town that maybe remind you a little bit of North Carolina as well oh Let's see. Santa's Pub reminds yes. me of North Carolina. <laughs> um, I'd say people, Wyatt McCubbin, again, I know we just talked about him, but he just said, if he was from my hometown and didn't tell me, I could probably feel, I would feel like he was from there, you know? I love it. So speaking of home, you kind of dropped this vulnerable bomb on all of us recently with Take Me Home. What was your mindset? What kind of headspace were you in? And I love that you kind of gave us this warning um, 
just letting us know you were okay and nothing yeah. was happening to you. But what headspace were you in when you were writing that? Because that song is, again, kind of painful. Yeah, it's kind of the same deal I was in when I was writing Giving You Up. And it's, uh, it goes back to me always wanting to be true and say the things that are on my heart. Uh, I feel like when I was writing that song, I was in a very angry spot. I was mad at some aspects of the industry. And not mad at anybody, just mad at timing of things, you know? So it's just one of those things where when I sat down, I needed to remind myself to be grateful. And because uh, there's so many people in this industry that would absolutely kill to be in where I'm at. And uh, I, I don't want to ever take that for granted. So I needed to write that song and put it out just as a reminder to myself to stay grateful and to stay my own course. No, I love that. Why did you decide just to leave it as the voice memo? Honestly, I didn't think I could recreate the emotion. Um, I just wanted to put it out in its truest form. Uh, that was as soon as I finished the song or when I write a song and like I finish it, I automatically get my phone out, get a work tape of it. Mm -hmm. So I was like, you know what? I, that's the that's the moment that it happened. I think that's the special way to do it is to just put it out the way it is. I love it. And I love that recently your past few posts, especially on Instagram, have been these really soulful acoustic covers and funny enough my mom sent me she's like do you know this guy I love this cover of John Bon Jovi I'm like funny enough <laughs> mom I'm talking with him in like three hours awesome. um, so why John Bon Jovi like what a kind of left field uh, song yeah, my, cover. my mom listened to Bon Jovi or she probably she still listens to Bon Jovi every freaking day so I, I grew up with Bon Jovi in my life uh, just as much as I did with anybody else. So uh, I've just always loved his music. And that was just a song that I've kind of worked up when I was really young. And uh, I would say I, I started doing that version when I was 17, 18 years old, maybe even younger than that. And I just kind of brought it back. I don't know why I thought about it recently, but uh, I, I just was like, why not try it? So it, and, he, and he commented on it. So I was like, heck yeah, we must be doing something. Yeah. Like, heck yeah, if you get a comment from Bon Jovi. Yeah, can, you call, can you call up John? Is is he available? Yeah. So I think one of my favorite things about your show, and we did the, the VIP experience, we got to sign your guitar. Yeah. So like one, how cool for me being selfish. I was like, oh my God, and he's using it on stage. But what was the conversation or uh, around kind of having you always have your fans with you? Um, There was one night where... I, I remember somebody asked me to sign something and I was like, dude, sign my guitar. Like, how about that? Like, you're here for me. And like, I don't want to forget like the people that came to my first tour ever. And uh, it's kind of just a memory and a token for me to just always stay true to my fans. So all the first time VIPs to that first tour um, stay on that guitar. And if I meet anybody that's really cool and something like that, I have them sign it. It's just, uh, it's just kind of a part of me and it's a part of, my fans so it's just it's just one of those things i love to play it on stage it's my favorite guitar i own so uh it, it makes it even more special i love it maybe we just leave like a little bit of room on the bottom for john bon jovi when he finally yeah, bon jovi. <laughs> yeah john can cover my signature i i give him full permission so <laughs> your debut album you know i was doing a little bit of digging on you and you said that you wanted to keep it organic and real and a little bit looser what does the looser part of that mean for you? Um, when you go into the studio and everything is tracked, you usually track to a click where it, uh, it's like a metronome basically that keeps you in time and stuff like that. And we did have a, a metronome going, but also like, I don't want, 
I don't want my records to sound stiff. And when I mean stiff, like just very, like, you know, everything that's going to happen, you know, the parts and they're going to come in right on the beat and all that. I was like, that's not how bands play live. And I've always loved old records. So uh, all those old records, they didn't have click or anything like that. They played off each other. So I'm just recreating that. It's one of those things where me and my producer, Dan, which is a saint of, of a human being, uh, we've kind of decided that's how we want to move forward. It's just kind of make these as live and as real and as we possibly can. Maybe you should make a live album. I want to really, really? bad. Yeah, I really want to record a live album. That's a, that's a goal. Um, but will you also include the beer chugging contests that you have at your concerts in your live album? We'll probably have to. We'll probably have to. <laughs> <laughs> that was my favorite part of that whole show. That was too Thank funny. You. So you, b- big announcement today. You're going on tour with Dirk's freaking Bentley. How does I that know. feel? It's great. Golly, we've we've gotten so many great tour opportunities, and uh, this is just adding to another one where we're excited to be out with him, getting to learn from his crew. I was talking to Thomas uh, about it, and uh, Thomas Rhett was like, man, dude, we based everything about our camp after meeting Dirk, Dirk's camp. And he Apparently, that was one of his earlier tours, and he was like, they are the best people, and Thomas's camp is one of the best teams. So I was like, I think we're going to get along just great with them, and I'm stoked to be able to hang out with Dirk, get to know him a little better, and it's gonna be a, it's gonna be a really fun tour. And Jordan's back out there, and I love Jordan, so it's gonna be fun. I think y'all need to recreate the like find a I guess drunk on a plane. You guys could come out in all your luau gear. We probably can make it happen. Ooh. I'm not gonna give away any information yet, okay. but I think we'll have something brewing. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. So, what are some of your goals you have for yourself this year? Oh shoot, um, getting more music out. Uh, I've been tracking, getting a lot of stuff piled up. Uh, get those out to the fans and I'm really I'm really trying to dig into writing more meaningful songs on this next album uh, in a sense of like not that my other songs weren't meaningful just uh, always trying to evolve as a songwriter so I think that's where my head's at this year is writing songs that uh, they can heal they can hurt they can you know like I just uh, I'm just trying to evolve even more you know just trying to learn as much how is that possible? I mean, your your album was my favorite of last year. And uh, I was actually, I'm going to brag on myself. I was the one that yelled, this old town at you <laughs> in Chicago. So I'm so excited that you played it. But um, this series, we're going to end uh, with every artist asking probably one of my favorite questions to ask. Awesome. Um, and I always preface it with, there's no right answer. So Cameron Marlowe, how do you define country music? Um, That's a hard one. Three chords and the truth, I guess. I don't know. I think there's something really special about country music telling the stories that they do. And uh, I think there's something really special about the production behind it and the sounds that you hear in country music because those are sounds that you don't really hear on rock records and stuff like that. There's no steel guitar on rock records unless I am unless I just hadn't heard it. Um, <laughs> but in my mind, I don't really hear steel and I hear fiddle on rock records. And those are the sounds that mean like or sound like home to me. I love that. Well, thank you so much for taking time. I know you were busy in the studio today. So thank you uh, for taking time. And we will see you on the road here in a couple months. Without a doubt. Thank you so much for having me. Awesome. Thanks. We'll chat with you soon. Bye-bye. All right. Bye. My name is Bobby Dixon, and I am the founder of Backstage Bobby, a country music news outlet that highlights Chicago's country music scene. Follow me on Instagram at Backstage Bobby, 
And be sure to subscribe to the Country Confidential podcast to hear more insider info directly from all of your favorite country music artists. Country Confidential. The All Country News Country Confidential podcast is produced by me, Ashley Kim. I also executive produce alongside my team at Horseshoe Media. You can submit your artist, organization, or event to us at allcountrynews.com for a chance to be featured. If you love this episode, please rate and review our podcast wherever you're listening. And a huge shout out to our friends from Restless Road who recorded our amazing theme music for this podcast. All Country News. For more, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok and YouTube at All Country News. Visit us at allcountrynews.com to join our birthday club and subscribe to our weekly industry newsletter. Check out a new episode of Country Confidential every month right here. All Country News.